the reason, one of, well, several reasons, but one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is not only because, you know, we've worked on stuff together in the past, but also uh, I suspect, and correct me if I'm correct here, uh -huh. that you're, you are a, a weeb? <laughs> uh. <laughs> so it, it de define weeb weeb is one who likes anime is that uh sure yeah yeah i i, I can I, i've seen you mention utana that right? is that is and, a fact and i know you have some so not just a weeb but you know i get i get a, a lot of nerdy vibes from you 100 so percent. <laughs> i would just like to before anything else dive into that like what oh my gosh are, let's do what it what is your shit yeah what are <sighs> you the what are your most passionate things uh nerd nerd wise i guess so like as far as japan and japanese culture japanese art um i grew up watching pokemon <laughs> mm -hmm. and i was yeah. super into it and Pokemon was like, as, as many of us probably was like our gateway drug to other anime. And so sure. from Pokemon, I discovered what was available at my local video land to go rent on video cassette tape. Nice. <laughs> and I ended up watching Slayers and Uthena mm, yeah. quickly became yep. like my favorites. And uh, Record of Lotus War. Um, mm. Uh, Please Save My Earth, Pet Shop of Horrors. This was all also like my college anime club, club selection. Cowboy Bebop, of course, Trigun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Utena was the one that really captured... That's like my jam. I love like the... Um, it's like an abstract painting in anime form. And mm. I really love the motifs, the music, the symbolism, the the kind of whole adolescence, that story of what does it mean to transition from adolescent to the world of adulthood. And yeah. um, I just love that stuff. I also really love like Miyazaki and more like slice of life stuff. I, there's a mm -hmm. huge place in my heart for Grave of the Fireflies. Um, yeah. Just a devastating uh, film. Uh, and so, like, my interest in, in Japanese anime made me study, made it so I wanted to study Japanese in college. And it was okay. through studying Japanese. I went to Wellesley College just outside of Boston. They have a great Japanese department. And it was there where I discovered Takarazuka, which is an all-female Japanese musical theater. And then that yeah, I yeah. just became completely fascinated by obsessed with did my senior thesis on ended up interning over there um during oh, college okay. and yeah and i ended up studying abroad in japan for about a year and uh yeah 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 so like but here's the thing i don't often talk about anime because i feel like i went through a period where i was very current and updated on it and then there's a mm. whole like 15 year 20 year stretch of time honestly where I don't know, I don't watch the stuff that most people watch and that's popular. Um, mm -hmm. I kind of, you know, some some things pop out to me and I end up finding or they find me. Um, I also love re-watching some of the older stuff I used to watch. So um, I'm an anime fan, but I can't, I'm, I'm afraid to claim it. In the same way that, like, I am a gamer, but I play games from that I played like on an IBM in 1995. <laughs> mm, okay, okay. And so it's like I'm like I'm a hipster that way, I guess. 
Well, I would say uh, there, there should be no fear in your heart. Uh, well, if you. you are, if you love uh, uh, anime, then you, it's, you are you are an anime fan. I think there's uh, uh, no no need for fear. Uh, I'm not I'm not here to go. <laughs> are you really? No, clearly, <laughs> uh, you know, just listing the titles you listed. I'm like, okay, yeah, no, that this shit's legit. Now, I uh, what's the most recent? Do you watch anything recent or has, was because you know I know some people who were big into anime like. Way back in the day, and then they yeah. kind of fell off of it. And yeah. then, do, do you keep up with it at all? Like, have you seen anything recently? Or I will. that's more of the past? Yeah, I will say, like, the stuff that tends to grab me now is kind of slice of life stuff. Like, a few years mm. ago, gosh, this must be, this came out probably almost 10 years ago, but there was a movie called Colorful. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. That, mm-hmm. oh, that I, you know, Hulu recommended it to me, I think. And I watched right. it and I was like, yes, this is incredible. Um, and then I most recently, I watched Agretsuko. Uh, that's really mm-hmm. fun because I'm also a huge heavy metal fan. And so metal and, you know, a Japanese woman trying to figure out how her work and love life is going to happen through heavy metal. Like, yes, yes, sign me up. Um, and then more recently, this is an anime, but it's a Chinese animated series called uh, a Chinese animated series called Heaven Officials Blessing that I have become obsessed with. Is this the one I'm thinking of? I know there's a couple uh, uh, Chinese shows that have been very popular. Uh, okay, yes, I do know of this. Okay, mm. and this is and uh, you're you're very into this one currently as of like april so it released on netflix in april i put it on in the background mm. because i thought it was pretty and then after three or four episodes i started paying attention to it and i'm like wait wait what i gotta i gotta go back and watch this properly <laughs> and then i became obsessed and then i read the novel that it's based on five mm-hmm. books i'm not a reader it's been a long time since i read a book i read five books over the course of three days whoa i am obsessed it's a beautiful story Okay, and if you what what is like the um, the pitch? If you had to pitch it to me, the TLDR, like what? <laughs> okay, so um, or oh, or God. go long. Like I mean, it's as much as you want to talk about it. Like I love hearing what people are passionate about. So sell it to me. What what is uh, what draws you to this? At its core, Heaven Officials' blessing is a romantic story about. A thrice ascended god. It's set in this Chinese fantasy feudal world. And there's this god named Xilian who has just had a rough time of things. And every time he ascends to become a god, for some reason, he gets demoted back down to earth. Mm. And as a result, he doesn't end up becoming bitter, but he's become a man of the people. He's He wants to save the common people. That's kind of always been his philosophy in life. And he's just the most good-natured, almost enlightened god you could hope to meet. So the third time he ascends, that's where this story picks up. And mm. a very interesting group of characters starts to get interested in his ascension and sends him out on... Um, it, it's it's almost like a a monster of the week sort of detective noir like film noir story almost where there's okay. some kind of mission some kind of mystery he has to solve and he's so uniquely positioned to solve it and he often has the help of a mysterious ghost king who starts hanging around him for unknown reasons that unfold mm. as the story goes on and um 
without giving too much away, it's it's a romance. It's it's a beautiful love story, and it unfolds mm. slowly. It's a slow burn, and I'm also so fascinated too because because the central romance is between two men. Um, I'm so fascinated how censorship laws work in China and. Right, right mm. now, um, dan me, it's called, I think, or boys love, um, male and male homoerotic uh, relationships, is a huge, po- hugely popular genre in novels, comics, and animation. Um, but there's certain things they can or cannot show to get around the censorship laws in China. Mm. So it's just been really fascinating, not only from a story point of view to get into this show, but like just learning about some cultural things I didn't know Frankly, I didn't know much about um, China or Chinese culture. What's an example of one of those like sort of workarounds they have? To <laughs> okay, do? so this novel series, um, Heaven Officials Blessing. I'm not going to say the yeah. Chinese title because I'm going to butcher it. Um, but mm. this author who wrote it also has several other novels that are wildly popular. One of them was adapted and became the show called The Untamed, um, which is a huge okay. international hit. And it's on Netflix. Mm. And that show, it's my understanding that the central um, gay relationship, they made it so like, oh, they're sworn brothers and soulmates, but they never kiss. They never touch romantically. Everything is communicated through looks and through Mm. music and through this understanding of, yes, we are we are soulmates, but we're totally platonic. Sure. <laughs> which sure. is wild, which is wild to me, which is why the the animated series have a bit more freedom, I think. Yeah. And there's so much more you can express, I think, um, in an animated series that can be read into as ambiguous, but also leave no room to allow you to think this is anything other than a romance. Um, you sure. know, there's, there's just something, especially, you know, a lot of... Um, it's my understanding a lot of Chinese animated series are heavily influenced by Japanese anime. And so some of those Mm. conventions that are present in anime that very, very much clue you into the relationship are really well utilized. Um, So I just think it's, it's so fascinating. (laughs) It's one of those things where you're like, they are absolutely lovers. And you know what? You don't need to show them necessarily doing uh, purely only physical things to show that. I I, I I like that. Okay, it's almost like a Jane Austen novel. Like mm, you know yeah. how Pride and Prejudice yeah. is so full of romantic tension without being sexually explicit. I I, I love right. stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, and the uh, for me, like it's interesting. I should. I'm very unfamiliar with uh, a lot of like uh, Donghua, like you know, sort of stuff. Like I I know there's one. Do you know uh, Mo Dao Zushi? Have you ever That's heard of that one? That's The Untamed. That's what I was talking about. So That's The, author, the Untamed. Oh, yes. okay, okay. The author who wrote gotcha. that book wrote Heaven Official's Blessing. So, yes. Oh, okay. So, same same author. Yes. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah, no, I've, I've heard great things about uh, this one. And, uh, okay, yeah. No, I, I should uh, check these out. And you say you don't. You don't keep up with anime, and but you're watching the adjacent, basically the same thing. 
<laughs> yes, I'm uh, expanding, you know, going into other Asian media. Um, no, I mean, sure. Agretsuko probably is the most recent Japanese anime I've watched. I did a rewatch mm. of Utena during the pandemic. That was excellent. Uh, it's incredible. It still holds I up. Definitely, I definitely need to watch Utena. That's... Have you never seen it? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh. I, it's a, yeah, it's absolutely on my to-watch list, though. There's just too much, too much anime, uh, and I, I've been through the pandemic, and mm-hmm. uh, we were kind of like watching, and I was kind of doing catch up on older shows, because uh, I tend to not watch a lot of new stuff. Like, ever, I have friends who watch a lot of new stuff, like all the mm-hmm. new stuff. I'll pick and choose if I watch stuff, and I'll go for what I really want to watch. What are some of your favorites that you watch to unwind or? Um, uh, my favorite one is. People on the listening to the podcast are like, "Here he goes again." Uh, <laughs> Chihaya Furu. I don't know if you've heard of this one. Chihaya Furu. Oh, Chihaya Furu. Okay. Yeah, it's about. Uh, are you familiar with Karuta? No. Karuta is a uh, poetry, almost like card game sport that is played in Japan, um, and it's it's about <clears throat> basically hitting. Like, a person will read a verse, and then the two players have to hit with their hand the card that mat- that is, like, the second verse of that as quickly as oh, possible. Oh, cool. Uh, and it, it is fantastic. I have talked about it ad nauseum on the podcast and have introduced it to many people. It has never failed. If you are ever in the mood to watch an anime... Yes. Uh, watch Chihaya Furu. It's fantastic. I just watched... I've seen the first three episodes so many times, and I never get tired of it because it's like the best introduction to people. Like uh-huh. literally, I think yesterday. Yep, yesterday, another <laughs> friend was like, "All right, let's let's you, you talk about this show all the time. Let's let's see it." And we watched the first three, and they're like, "Yeah, no, I get it." Uh, oh my gosh, I gotta check this out. It is uh, endearing and wonderful characters. Uh, yeah. I highly recommend it. So. Oh, you know, now that you mention it, um, I, I just remembered I went through a big, and this is old now too, but like I went through a huge Nana phase where I love. Oh, I love Nana. Na- oh, yeah, I yeah, love yeah, it yeah. so much. <laughs> uh, anime or manga, both. Yes, yes, yes. I watched the anime first, and then I went and read the manga, mm. and um, yeah. Uh, have you read? Have you read the manga? I haven't read it. No, okay. I I watched all the show, and then I think my wife read past but i didn't read it but the manga goes places and um, i heard from her reactions yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's cool okay chihaya furu it's on my list it's on my list uh if you do watch it i would i would genuinely love to know what your thoughts are like let me for know. sure for sure I, I, because you know some people take they go they like what no poetry cards like what? what the hell but i'm like no 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 watch no, it that sounds incredible but i don't think i need to convince you i mean for someone who uh like uh you you, you were obsessed with takarazuka like i mean you get it yeah you, you understand like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of it reminds me um do you know uh abby trot yes yeah so uh your your sort of interest in uh takarazuka reminds me i don't know if you're familiar with her experience in japan do you know about that no not too much i just know that she's an incredible baker Mm, and i want to eat everything she posts on instagram 
Well, uh, <laughs> she uh, is uh, plays the Shakuhachi, if you know what that is. What? She uh, plays Shakuhachi? Yeah. Abby Tri. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, reminds me of your experience, which I would love to hear about. With Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah, I'll have, to, so, I'll have to connect with her about all that because I want to. That sounds fascinating. So tell me about your experience yeah. in, in Japan. Yeah, well, uh, my sophomore year of college, I took a Japanese theater seminar at Wellesley, and um, that was where I was first introduced to Takarazuka. I read Jennifer Robertson's book um, about Takarazuka, which is kind of a, a, a prolific book for for. Japanese pop culture researchers Mm. and I became fascinated and I you know this was oh my gosh this was in 2003 so at on on basic YouTube at that point in time I looked up every Takarazuka video I could find and the very first things I found were snippets from their production of the Rose of Versailles which I Mm, then later came to know was an adaptation of the 1970s manga shoujo manga um, and mm. so the Rose of Versailles is so interesting because it started off as a manga. It was adapted into an anime. And at the same time, it was adapted by Takarazuka into a stage show. And Takarazuka, for those listening who aren't familiar, um, it's an all-female actors theater company. Um, and it was founded in 1912 as a way to bring visitors to the end of the Hankyu Railway line, the Takarazuka line, um, because there were hot springs there. And the founder of the theater company thought, hey, if we have this performance, these young, virginal, beautiful women, Mm -hmm. you know, performing these beautiful, sexless, very wholesome, very pure musical shows um, will attract visitors to the end of the, the railway line. And so that kind of grew and grew and grew. It kind of became, as most things in Japan, um, a a vehicle for World War II era propaganda. Um, And then after Japan was defeated, the theater kind of went dormant um, for several years. And it wasn't really until the early 1970s with their adaptation of The Rose of Versailles that the theater had this incredible resurgence that has not stopped Mm. and they're right now the top grossing theater company in japan they boast that every day somewhere in japan there's a takarazuka performance happening and it's true it's true at their main theater they do oh my gosh like 11 or 12 shows a week um only taking one day off and having multiple shows on other days and um they called it in fact the berubara boom the berusayunobara boom yeah Um, yeah yeah and so it was such a hugely important musical and story to this theater company that over the years they've done all these different revivals of it different adaptations so i became obsessed (laughs) with Mm -hmm. the idea of translating uh the rose of versailles into english and then staging it at my college wellesley which is an all women's college i thought Mm. it was sort of a perfect marriage and a perfect thing for our theater department to do uh and so that's kind of what I set out to do. I, um, you know, I, I did an internship one summer at a TV station in Japan uh, just to get some experience. And I was always kind of that first summer I spent in Japan, 
pretty much every every chance I could, I would be at the Takarazuka Theater watching a show. Mm. I spent so much money. My poor father, I would call him and he'd be like, oh, I haven't heard from you in a while. Yes, yes, Dad. Could you please <laughs> wire me more money because I need to go see this show? <laughs> oh, thank you, Dad. <laughs> but it was, I spent my entire stipend I received that summer on going to see Takarazuka, purchasing, purchasing like scripts and musical scores from the bookshop. Yeah. Um, and when I came back, uh, I, I then came back to do half my junior year at Wellesley and then spent the rest of the junior year and summer in Japan um, studying Japanese. And then I got an internship at Takarazuka uh, in, in part thanks to the help of various professors and people I knew. It was awesome. Sure. I had so much. It's such a rare thing for a foreigner to enter that space. Um, you know, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're very, very private and with good reason. Um, part of the marketability of the company is this, they're, they're creating a dream world that you mm. can go into their audience to escape into. So they're very private about the private lives of their performers. And I felt very, very, very grateful um, to be allowed into the fold, so to speak, as a foreigner. Um and as a foreign student, I think the thing about Japan that really struck me, I, I was 18 and 19 when I spent the majority of my time there. And they are so welcoming to young people and students. Like if mm -hmm. you if you go there with sort of the heart of a cultural exchange, truly wanting to understand the culture in order to educate others about it. Um, to see it through an, an, an Eastern lens rather than imposing American Western views on it, doors open for you like you wouldn't believe. Um, mm -hmm. And so I just, it was, I, I, I consider Japan as a country to be one of the great loves of my life. And it's hugely in part to, to my experience there um, working in the theater and so I spent the summer there working at Takarazuka, got to watch a bunch of rehearsals and see all the different aspects of how they put together these elaborate shows. And I came back from my senior year of college to translate The Rose of Versailles, adapt it, because I had a few different versions I was translating, and then mm -hmm. stage and direct it uh, for my senior thesis. And then I went to sleep for the rest of the summer because I was dead. But you did do it. I did, did do it. Yes. It yes. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, oh it was God. it was good times. Do you have any specific like memories from that uh experience that like really stand out to you or Yeah, you know, gosh, so much of it was as a director. Well, mm. the thing I found out I loved most was translating the music. Um, yeah. There's something so interesting about how do you preserve the musicality of the original language without completely changing the meaning? Um, and I found that to be a really fun puzzle. Um, mm. I'm trying to think of a specific example, but it's like, how do you preserve a rhyme? Because a certain rhyme will feel right with the music, with the chord progression. But sure. that rhyme might not exist in your language. So, right. or if it does exist, it might be a really awkward phrasing. So what do you sacrifice versus what do you really push? I was, you know, thankfully I had so much autonomy. I could basically do whatever I wanted. Um, sure. I think 
what was beneficial then when it got when I had the whole thing translated the music ready to go I think what was helpful was then to work with my choreographer my you know music director my um my stage managers to say, hey, these are the things I want to execute because culturally they're important. These things culturally make it Takarazuka. Like there needs to be mm. a grand staircase at the end that everyone comes down or it's not Takarazuka. How do we make this happen? And kind yeah, of yeah. that cross-cultural exchange of what is what makes sense in our Western artistic lens versus what is a new idea, but how can we say okay this may seem campy in in the west but how can we be as serious as we can about it because like like what works and what doesn't you know what what is truly the japanese-ness of it that needs to be in play versus what what can bend i don't know it's gosh i haven't thought this much in depth about it in like 20 years <laughs> <laughs> this is the kind of this is what i like to hear no i i, I love hearing about this sort of thing i yeah, it, you know, it's interesting you brought up sort of um, what do you sacrifice, right? And you know, that's a lot of a lot of people have. There's a lot of discourse uh, about you know like localization, right? right? You know, right. About like, oh, do you you know some people want like you know just absolutely rigid you know direct translation, and then you mm-hmm. know there's people, but no, do you want you know to preserve? You don't need to have an exact. First off, it sounds robotic, right? If it's just completely right literal, right? And it's like in order to convey something that isn't necessarily uh, in English, but make it flow nicely or you know make sense. You know, mm-hmm. there there have you know, it's interesting seeing people's different perspectives on it. Uh, and Absolutely, that's something that you had to do with a whole musical. I mean, that's I mean that's uh, it's pretty it's pretty impressive. Uh, and, and in the end, was it everything you had hoped it would be? You know, it was for, you know, 19, 20-year-old me. It's yeah. it certainly was. I sh- I'm sure if I were to look back at the video now, I would cringe. <laughs> but at that time, yes, it was I remember feeling very satisfied. Um and even though I knew you know, my major was in Japanese language and literature, and I've had people and a little voice inside me at times over the years question, well, what was the practicality of that? Um, Mm. And to that I say, I learned so much doing that one project than I would have had I majored in something more quote-unquote marketable. And at the end of the day, Mm. none of that has hurt me. As an actor, nobody cares what your major was. (laughs) Exactly. So it's all worked out well for Zara Puzzle. It's cool. But at the time, I remember thinking... Don't worry about whether or not this is going to translate into a long term, like this is your resume you submit and then you get your job out of college. Like, don't worry about that. What you've built in this time, whether it was going to another country to live, figure out life and do research, the cross-cultural exchange of that, whether it was coming back and doing the actual literal translation work, doing the musical work, directing working with a crew, essentially being a project manager, all these yeah. different things are skills that are applicable in every job. And yep. um, so I think at the end of the day, I was I was very, very happy with how it all turned out. Um, for a time, I 
really seriously considered moving to Japan and actually trying mm. to become a director at Takarazuka. It was something that crossed my mind over and over over the course of many years. And sometimes, sometimes I wonder, what if, what if I had been more bold mm. right after college mm. and said, you know what, I'm going to move to Japan and make this happen somehow. I don't know. Mm. I wouldn't have the life I have now, though, probably. So. Thing is, a lot. I I do believe that despite many what ifs in people's lives, it's you know you're you're kind of where you're supposed to be. I think you know I, that's I how I that's so what I genuinely too. feel. And I I do want to interrupt and be like I love hearing this because for me something that I think is very important to me um, is the remembering that not everything has to be tied to your career right mm -hmm. in order for it to be inherently valuable mm -hmm. like i i uh i think it's very important to you know have passions and you know goals and things outside of just oh but what will it get me like job wise or oh well you know uh and then not only that but like you like you said like so much of that experience will still translate into like a you yeah. know, skills for your career like everything like Everything in your life, I think, um, can be productive in some way. And even if it isn't necessarily, like, concrete, uh, it's still the fact just doing something for the love of doing it, I yes. think, is an underrated, you know, we're, a lot of people are very just, just single-mindedly career-driven. And I think it's important that to take time to just, no, I, I want to do this because it's fun or... It's fulfilling. I couldn't agree more because it's if there's something in you that you feel compelled to get out, especially as an artist, especially as a creative person, you got to find a way to get it out. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's going to eat you up on the inside. And if you don't get it out, you're robbing yourself of an experience that intuitively your life told you you needed to have. Mm -hmm. Um. So, yeah, do what you want and don't worry so much about the results all the time. <laughs> I agree. Uh, I'm going to ask you, uh, I have something to ask you, but before, I, I don't want to forget. Now, I haven't seen this show, so I, I can't guarantee it's good, but it looks good. And it, it's a new anime. Are you familiar with this new anime that is directly about uh, Takarazuka? <laughs> No, what? Oh, what? I don't there, know that I, I've heard I, about I, this. I was just like, yeah, just it's kind of funny. Like you know, you bring up, uh, you bring it up, and there is an anime right now called uh, Kageki Shoujo. Kageki uh, Shoujo. Oh, that's yeah. perfect. <laughs> it it premiered uh, this month actually. Oh my and god! Yeah, it's it is about. Uh, is it specifically? Let me let me. I have not seen it, but uh, I I recently sat down with. Anime's new news network, and I was subjected to watch every trailer for the anime season. Oh, which... cool! Oh, cool! But so much <laughs> of it was garbage. Oh. But but one of the shows that stood out to me, and I was like, "Ooh, that looks good." Was Kageki Shoujo. So, uh, oh. you know, I have again no idea if it's any good, uh, but yeah. it is. It is. A, it is about. Or I guess it's a. It's a troop similar to Takarazuka, yes. but still uh, in the same vein. So. Yeah, I'll I guess definitely have to check that out. I can tell you this: I looked just now at the um, like an image search, and one of the covers of the manga, uh, the character is dressed up like Lady Oscar from the Rose of Versailles. So oh, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, very, very clearly, uh, if not literally, a Takarazuka homage. Uh, 
a fictional uh, equivalent, perhaps. Oh, that's cool. Sure, sure. I'll have to check that out. So I was going to ask then, um, so you, you know, studied Japanese and, uh, you know, did all this. And then what what was the step to voiceover from there? Mm. It's interesting. So, you know, you ask any two people how they got to to be working in voiceover and their story is so different. I just, oh, I love that. Something I love about our business. Um, so my my path to voiceover specifically actually started a little earlier. I, um, when I was a kid, I loved cartoons, loved the mm-hmm. Disney afternoon. That's what I grew up watching. And I would always watch the credits to see who made the shows with the voice talents of and, you know, who the artists were. And I, yeah. you know, began to notice a lot of the same actors working on a lot of the shows I watched. And I would have so much fun picking out their voices. Like, oh, that's Jim mm-hmm. Cummings doing his yep. his tenor versus his more bass voice. Um, and so I always knew that there were people who were the voices of these things. And I got really interested in drawing and comics and You know, in high school, I was thinking, I want to be an animator. I'm going to go to school, maybe study Mm -hmm. either animation or computer graphics, uh, visual effects. My parents were like, why don't you go into visual effects? Because that seems like it's a thing that's going to be a big money making thing. (laughs) Asian parents, you know. Right. Yeah. um, No, I know. Yeah. (laughs) So I um, was really deeply obsessed with the Disney show Gargoyles. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every year they would have a convention at that time called the Gathering of the Gargoyles where uh, they would choose a different city and the creator of the show, Greg Wiseman, would be there usually with other people who worked on the show, different um, Mm. artists, actors, animators, all, um, you know, writers. And so I, for my high school graduation present, my dad took me to the Gathering in Los Angeles and I had the opportunity to audition. They were doing a radio play at the convention where they cast, Mm. they took a script from the show Gargoyles and they cast it with some of the voice actors who were at the con and then they cast fans. And so I was 16 and I read for Greg Wiseman and I ended up getting cast as Elisa Maza, the lead female role. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, it was incredible. A really fun time performing for the convention. And at the end of the con, uh, Greg said to me, you know, you're going to college now. That's great. When you graduate, you should really consider moving to L.A. because I think you could have a career doing this. And so I filed that away in the back of my head. And like what a what a what a gift to be given that encouragement as a teenager. Um, that is, yeah. Did you have act, a lot of acting experience before that? Or? At that point, I, I had done a ton of speech and debate in all through middle mm. school and high school and uh, a bunch of like the school play, school musical. It was very clear that like I loved performance, um, but I never at that point, I didn't think that I could be a star. <laughs> you know, I didn't, yeah, I didn't. Right. I didn't think I thought it was so impossible. I thought there was no money in it and only the very, very few uh could make it like that and you know it's so interesting thinking about how your culture that you're raised in plays into that too because you Mm. know my parents were from pakistan and india and even though my father's side of the family had very has very successful people working in the indian film industry i still Mm. didn't necessarily feel uh, encouraged to go in the entertainment business in that way. Sure. 
um, at that point, at that point. So I went to college. It was like, I'm going to study media arts and like, you know, get into, you know, do this so I can go to like a good grad school program. And <laughs> yep. then I very quickly fell in love with the theater department and the Japanese department. And then that was kind of that. And so my whole goal in college then shifted, especially after studying with Takarazuka, was like shifting more towards, OK, I want to I want to work in the theater. I want to be on Broadway, um, maybe even direct. And were your parents supportive of that during that period? Yes. My father was, I remember... I didn't tell him. <laughs> the whole plan was, okay, I'm going to double major in Japanese and media arts, which was mm-hmm. um, Wellesley's kind of fusion degree of the arts and, and the computer science department. And I didn't spring on my dad to like the night before graduation, like, oh, dad, you know how I was going to be a double major? I'm actually just majoring in Japanese, <laughs> but it's with honors. <laughs> Love you. <ya>. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I think there was a little bit of sh- certainly, certainly um, disappointment, but I, at the same time, I never felt discouraged from going after what I wanted as long as I I think there was the attitude as long as you can be financially independent sure. um, and pursue things wisely, go for it. Yeah. But there were very there were hints of like, maybe you should get an MBA. <laughs> mm, oh, no. Yeah. Uh, my for me, it was like, have you thought about graduate school? You know, like, mm, yeah, yeah, thought, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, first of all, that's incredible. I mean, just getting to hear from, you know, who I assume, or not assume, must have been one of your heroes, right? Greg Wiseman, yes. right? Like, yes. That, hey, like, you should uh, you should move to L.A. and do voiceover. I mean, that's a big fucking deal. It was a uh, huge deal. Yeah. It was yeah. something that was, like, kind of in the back of my mind as I was doing theater. And, you know, I applied after, after college. I applied to a few graduate programs for theater. I didn't end up getting into the schools I wanted to go to. And uh, just ended up uh, doing theater on the East Coast for a few years. But it was always in the back of my head, like, oh, you know what? I could work in animation. I could move to L.A. I could I could be in cartoons. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's something I I could do if I made the move. And it took me a few years to kind of really get up the, the courage to make that move. Uh, But in retrospect, like I have spent several years getting training in theater in D.C. I did every I was in a show all the time. I was in every imaginable genre of show. I did children's theater. I did musical theater. I did straight plays. I did Georgian movement dance shows. I, you know, I feel like those years were kind of my um, do it yourself grad school for performance. And uh, by the time I moved out to L.A. a few years later, um, I, I was very focused in what I wanted to do. I was like, okay, I want to focus on on-camera television opportunities, and I want to focus on animation. Mm. And Greg Wiseman is incredible. He was, over the years, I would see him occasionally at conventions, and he was such an incredible mentor. Um, any question I had about the industry, he would answer. Occasionally, he would send me over an audition opportunity. And so it was a relationship that I kept up. So when I moved to L.A., it was very, I felt... Um, I felt like I had a good network of folks out here uh, mm. who were kind of on my side, looking out for yeah. me. And when I moved out here, I also very quickly, not very quickly, it's very quickly in retrospect, but it was really like nine months before I kind of made my inroads. Because, um, you know, you got to figure out where am I going to where am I going to go grocery shopping? Where Who's my new dentist? Where am I going to mm. like get my car fixed? <laughs> All yeah, the, yeah. the things of life when you relocate. Um, 
But I, um, I ended up meeting the folks at North Hollywood Sound, who are now Dave and Dave, and they were mm. so essential in, they were like my first voiceover home in Los Angeles. And, you know, I, people, I was amazed at how accessible people were. Um, some of the older folks who've been doing this for a long time, um, you know, very generously had did the thing with me that I hate when people ask me now, like, can I get coffee, get you a coffee and pick your brain about things? <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> but I'm I'm so grateful to the folks who 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 tolerated that from me. And, um, you know, it wasn't very long before I felt like the engine of my voiceover machine was churning in L.A. Yeah. yeah. And that was like, when did you move out here? That was 2012. Okay, okay. Yeah. How do your parents feel about your job now? Well, they're no longer with us, but I think they'd be pretty proud. No, it's okay. That's okay. I, you know, that's the blessing that I have is that I've never, as as much as they were worried about me, I've never Mm -hmm. once questioned whether or not they would have wanted me to go for this or not. Like, I always, I know the answer is yes. And I know, um, I think... I'm, I'm, people often say you're very confident to me and Mm -hmm. I, I am, I'm deeply confident about myself and my abilities because I was raised by a group of adults who made me feel safe in my own Mm. potential to grow to, um, and, and that's, I, every day I try not to take that for granted and I try to be that adult for young people in my life now because to have that encouragement at a young age especially when you're you're figuring it out in adolescence like that's everything that's so foundational yeah right right yeah i mean i i've had a lot of people on um who are you know the children of of immigrants as you know as i am right Mm -hmm. uh and you know it's it's this thing of, uh, especially Asian, you know, I've had, I've talked to, you know, Asian actors, Asian parents. Yeah. And there, but there was always this understanding of like, even if our parents like were like, oh, we just want, you know, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? But it was always from, they just wanted us to be, you know, secure and happy. Right. right. You know, right. like, uh, like you, you could never. I could never take it too personally, and I've had, you know, I've shared this sentiment with so many other people. Of like, because they worked so hard yeah. <laughs> for for us to like, you know, to move to a, you know a new country, right? And and struggle, and they just want they just wanted us to you know be uh you know have a good life. So right. Whenever I hear you know, I meet another person like Asian parents, but we're mm-hmm. also like, yeah, but you know, they they. Without them, it's like what what could we have done, right? Right. It's, it's I I'm I'm always very you know very very thankful as well. I was also in a fortunate position where, you know, my parents were very supportive of me um, as well. So yeah, that's uh, incredible. Yeah. And yeah. like you know, I feel like the stereotype is that oh, Asian parents are unsupportive of their children going into the arts, and mm-hmm. you know, I I'm uh, there's certainly folks where that is the case. Yeah. But I, I really feel that that's an unfair stereotype and certainly one that's hopefully changing. But I also can't help but wonder, 
you know, you're talking to another success story, an Asian artist success story. So mm. is it is it is it are we able to become success stories because we had parents who bucked the norm, who bucked the stereotype? I don't know. Uh, I, I, I get, it's an interesting question, but I, I think for me, bottom line, it was because, you know, I, I know plenty of, you know, my friends who had, who did not have great parents mm. growing up. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think transcending even just the Asian parents thing, like just having supportive parents, I think in general was mm-hmm. a big blessing for me and I'm sure for you, uh, as well. Um, but yeah, no, um, I, uh, I'm very glad to hear, you know, I love hearing about people's different sort of, uh, journeys into how they got into it. I, yeah, I did not know the, the whole Greg Wiseman um, thing that is. So there's a fun kind of button to that story, uh, in 2017, you know, I, so I, you know, I moved here in 2012. I got my first agent in 2013, started auditioning regularly, um, primarily worked in commercial first, and then with an animated booking here and there. But it mm-hmm. wasn't until like beginning of 2017 where three things, I booked three major shows all within a couple weeks of each other, and that really kind of got my, my animation career rolling. And mm. I remember I got a phone call from my agent at the time who said, how do you know Greg Wiseman? And I'm like, <laughs> what? Why? And she, she was like, because we just got a direct offer for you for season three of Young Justice. And yeah. so 16 years after I'd first met Greg as a 16-year-old kid, we finally had the opportunity to work together. And I, that show ended up, and it continues, because I still work on it, to be mm-hmm. one of the most rewarding creative experiences I've had um you know I have one main character that I play on it but I ended up because animation is the way it is and they can have us for three voices and the cast is very very big in Young Justice so I ended up voicing like 10 characters on that season and um it was such an incredible creative challenge and, and creative gift and all the more special that I could work with my mentor with the man who had encouraged me um, from the very beginning. And so it was a really cool kind of full circle moment for me. <laughs> that is fantastic. Uh, yeah, I, I love hearing these kinds of stories. Now, uh, th- I like to give um, the guest an opportunity, if you'd like. Is there uh, a question for me you would like to ask or a topic you would like to bring up? Oh, gosh, so many. If not, don't worry about it. But, You're such you know, a fascinating feel- person. I feel like I could stay and talk to you for another hour where I just interview you about your life. <laughs> um, I mean, if you, if you genuinely want to ask any, I don't give a shit. Yeah, whatever okay. you like, you know. Something I, I want to know about you, you because you, yeah. you tweet about it a bit. You love games, like board games, right? Oh, yes, yes. Okay, top three. If you were to have folks over now to play with, your nearest and dearest, what three games would you want to play? That's a tough question because uh, not to, without giving a boring, like too long answer, it's like, it's always going to depend on how many people, right? How many people, you know, who's there. But let's say it's the perfect four people. Yes. And they're all down to play anything. Yes. Because four players is usually like what you want, the sweet spot. Yes, totally. Okay, okay, okay. 
that's... <sighs> I mean, if the question was just, what are my favorite games? I know that answer, but uh, my problem is I am constantly seeking out new games so like you know my 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 wife will complain like can we just play a game that we have and i'm like and we have like this giant shelf like of games and i'm like yeah but i got all these i got like 20 games i got like we like we want we want i want to play i gotta we gotta play them right like i have there's this goal of mine which i'm very close to which uh i don't know how familiar are you with board games if if at all i mean i you know i'm not like i don't follow like the new stuff but there's some like classics that my family busts out at, or at like, yeah, like game nights. okay like settlers of Catan is probably my okay, all-time yeah, yeah. fave um sure. and like i love all the expansions and stuff and then this isn't a board game but like i really love a good werewolves session yeah mm-hmm. where you just lie yeah. to people and kill yeah, people <laughs> absolutely a tabletop game yeah uh i so to answer your question Four players, or I don't know, like I was gonna say, like there's a website called Board Game Geek, okay, uh, which which chronic it's like every single board game, like you, and I'm not exaggerating, is on the website cataloged. It, there are rev- reviews like ranked; they are all ranked every board game <sighs> ever made. Um, so if you go to that website and type in any board game, you can see what it is ranked based by based off user reviews. Um, and my goal of mine is to play the top hundred. Wow! Uh, and I have played as I'm, I'm literally looking it up right now, uh, and it changes too because as new games come out, sometimes they pierce the top hundred. But I think I have about ten, about ten left. 10 out of that hundred list. Out of the hundred. Wow! Uh, and I guess I can. I'm literally, I'm literally looking at a number right now. Can you guess how many board games I have played in my life? Because I know because I ranked <laughs> in <them> your all. life. <laughs> Yeah, in my life, how uh, many board games do you think I have played? I'm going to say at least 500. More than that. A thousand? Close, but uh, 854. Wow. 854 games. So it's like, if I'm asked that question of okay. the three, the three, it's, it's tough. Because I would say... <laughs> It would be there. There are games that I've been wanting to play, so that might be my answer. Because okay, uh, I'll I'll always have time to like pull out certain games, like if I need to. Like one of my favorite games of all time is a game called Marvel Legendary, uh, which is a cooperative deck building game. I don't know if you're familiar with deck building. Yeah, not like yeah. Magic, not like Magic the Gathering, but it's like everyone starts with nothing, and then you use your cards to buy new cards oh, from a store, okay. and then you build your deck as you go. It's a very fun genre of game. It's my absolute favorite oh, genre. Oh, cool. Uh, where it gives you the feeling of, like, you know, building up a deck, but it's always unique and it's always your own. And, you know, it's it's just for that game only. Right. You right? don't have to worry about, oh, do I have a good strategic deck to take exactly. into my argument? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like debate team. <laughs> yeah, everyone is basically starting from nothing. And you're just building up and you're seeing, like, ooh, what can I build from what comes in the store? Like, if you're familiar with the game Slay the Spire, it's a very popular Slay video game. Slay the Spire. Okay. Uh, it's a very good game, and that's the same sort of genre. But uh, there are also these games called legacy games. I don't know if you're familiar with those. Uh, they are uh, basically campaign games. Like you uh, play them over a long period of time, like uh-huh. ten or plus sessions. The decisions you make are permanent. You like rip up cards and put stickers on the board, like for decisions. Uh-huh. So it's like it's meant to be played through. As like once you're done with the game, you're done, right? Yeah. But you play it through. So there are like a couple games I've been dying to break out, like um, 
there's a game called Pandemic. Pandemic I've Legacy. I've heard of that. So Pandemic Legacy is the story version of that, where every right. game you play, you know, depending on how the game went, it changes the board, it changes the game, and you keep those changes as permanent. And I played the first season, and the second season is one I've been dying to pull out i I just i find it so charming that you want to play a legacy game about a pandemic during a pandemic it's like a (laughs) little escapism (laughs) it it feels heroic in a way it's like oh because it's about about squashing the diseases and you know it 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 does it is a weird feeling of yes take control yeah take control uh that's one of them uh clank legacy is another one and uh there's the big daddy gloomhaven is a very very big, uh, gigantic box of a game. I've been haven't been able to play for over like a year because of the pandemic and right. such. So because you need to have that group of people that you return to it weekly. Right. Got it. Yeah. So so if I could have, and in a way it kind of answers your question as well because all those games I've played Gloomhaven and uh, Pan- Pandemic Legacy and Clank Legacy are just legacy versions of games I already love. So I think that would be my three because it's like if I could just imprison <laughs> three other people and go, we're just going to play games uh, forever until we, we, we finish them. I think those would be my three choices right now. And coincidentally, there are also games on the top hundred I need to play. <laughs> so That's very efficient. Yeah. Uh, for me, um, one thing, if you want to know like how my mind works, it's all about I love lists. I love completing lists. Mm. I love checking off, like, uh, just, you know, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with, um, you know, too much about, you know, Jonathan Gold, the the food critic? The food, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, He passed away, right? Yeah, yeah, he passed away uh, several years ago. But uh, uh, another, for example, I have these big, grandiose bucket list goals, which I am very serious about. And his last published list of, the 101 restaurants back oh, in 2017. Yeah. Every now and then, if people are like, hey, where should we go? I'm like, let me let me, let me look. Let me see if I can find something. Or like if my wife and I go on a date night, it's like, hey, we should go here. Like, you know. Oh, and that's awesome. That's also, that's also something that has, I'll be frank, pre-pandemic, it was just like, ah, oh, we don't really have time. Or, oh, I don't know. Just uh, blah, 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 that sort of thing. But yeah. Uh, with uh once things were safer and people were vaccinated including ourselves mm-hmm. it became like i was so sick of being inside <laughs> like so sick of yeah you know i uh i was telling all my you know my friends like i was literally making a list of like we should do this we should do this like what we've always wanted to do like escape rooms why don't we do them or we, you know hey have you ever got when's the last time i went mini golfing let's go mini golfing and i made a list Again, lists. I'm all about lists. So, I love it. Um, yeah, and ever since, excuse me, ever since I've, it's been okay to like, you know, go out within reason. Yeah. Like yeah. I have been trying to just do as much stuff as possible, and I've been very gung ho about, you know, uh, yeah. Let's just, whenever someone says to me, we should do that sometime. I'm like, cool. When? Like, when are you free? Like, let's do it. Like, let's let's stop being like we should or oh. and then talk about it for talk about it for you know there have been things where where we had talked about it for like maybe years right right right. you you know as well as i do that you know especially in this town time can just go oh my god like like you can be like what i've been here how long exactly and and i have not been here that long like i've only been here like you know what three years or something but even then i'm like where did that go like where did that time go yeah and it's very easy to just you know 
lose track of time. And so for me, it was like that. And then this sort of thing of like, I want to just take more pictures and memories because I was so depressed that yeah. 2020 was just gone. <laughs> it right, was just, right. there was a, I didn't really take a lot of pictures before then, but I was like, as soon as I'm, as soon as I can, let's just, let's just do it. Like, let's capture these, let's do shit and capture these memories. And so that's sort of what I've been. That's so amazing about. to hear because that's very inspiring because I've sort of had not not necessarily the opposite response to coming out of it, but it's mm-hmm. more like I uh, 2019 was a great year for me, but it was also really tough. It was a year mm. where I felt like I was on the verge of burnout several times okay. because it was constantly go out here, go here, go please this group of people, go meet this group yeah. of people. And it was fantastic, but it was not a healthy mental way to live. And I feel Mm. like the pandemic forced me to sit in one location for an extended period of time. And I ended up processing a lot of the previous year, I think, Mm. (laughs) in that time. And so now coming out of it, you know, hopefully we're not going back into a more um, a lockdown the way we did previous times but like coming out of it in this you know vaccinated age where it's safe to see people within reason yeah i'm starting to i'm doing it very carefully in a way that guards my um my social capital does that make sense my Mm, my absolutely my battery because my battery i find gets drained more easily being out in the world now than it ever used to Mm. and i it's temporary i think uh i think i'll probably get back to my zoomy zoomy 2019 self again um but i'm also recognizing you know it's okay to be it's okay that my world's a little smaller it's okay that um i'm not racing to but at the same time hearing you talk about how it's like (laughs) We should do this. Yeah, okay, when? Let's do it. Let's set a date. Like, that is so inspiring. And it's given me this shot of like, hey, you know what? That's possible too. So thank you. I think you. It's, it's, it's good to strike a balance, right? Because, like, I, I have a lot of friends who feel exactly the same way you do, right? Like, yeah. Where, like, they definitely, like, it, it, it can be draining. Like, especially, you know, even pre-pandemic, it might have been draining. And now it's like, oh, God, can't even, you know, imagine how much worse it is now, right? Yeah. I guess for me, it was just a more of a bottling up like, you know, I was pretty social before. And I guess for me, it was just I mm, I guess I just like, wow, I really took a lot of stuff for granted. Yes, that was my year was going. Wow, I took I took uh, restaurants for granted. Right. I took uh, go doing this and that or just not being in the same place for granted and so but i also totally sympathize and understand that you know for some people it was just like man like world's fucked and uh i don't necessarily you know some for some people it's like it's like they just don't feel safe which i totally understand right right? it's It's gonna we need like a collective therapy session i feel for everyone who took the pandemic seriously we need like a group therapy session about uh you know what it did yeah what it did and like what the world is versus what we thought it was and you know i I read something on twitter somebody had said like can we retire i'm going to avoid that like the plague because it's clear that people aren't avoiding the plague Mm -hmm. (laughs) like retire that saying and it's just (laughs) oh yeah i don't know 
but it's all good. It is it is just weird. I have this mixed like obviously I wish it had not happened, of course, because it was mm-hmm. so horrible. Yes. But for me, I think um I try to even when it's something really fucking shitty, I try to take some something positive out of it. Not and I'm not like a super optimistic person. I think at actually I I tend to verge towards more pessimistic, but I think it's just so from my own I don't know, selfishness. I'm like, but I need to get something out of this so I can just, <laughs> you know, uh, yes. progress, right? And I think for me it was like, um, it's interesting how it sort of changed. Uh, I think a lot of people now are just used to like, uh, yeah, you can just, instead of only seeing people in person, you can socialize in other ways. So like there's, you know, Discord became a lot more popular with right. people. And, or just like, you know, Zoom chats, all that, you know. A lot of that became very normalized. Yeah. Um, and, like, I will admit there were, pre-pandemic, you know, it was this sort of, like, huh, I, I kind of wish I could, like, I don't know, shoot the shit, like, someone, like, but it's, like, eh, it's, like, 10 p.m. It's, like, I'm not going to call them. Like, who calls people, right? But, you know, it's something that we're, like, oh, eh, Discord, yeah. Okay, let's just shoot the shit. Or, um, like, you know, I also think that, you know, there was a sort of group of people that, you know, we sort of kind of spent pandemic together, right? Yes. Over online, online, right? Right, and, right. And it really, I think, strengthened and progressed a lot of friendships, I think. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, I like look at the people who I spent the most time talking with, texting with, and then when it was safer to see in person. And I look at those friendships and I'm like, I know these people are going to be my friends for the rest of our lives because this (laughs) is too deep of an experience. And like when a crisis happened, these are the people who have your back, whether it's physically, emotionally or, you know, whatever it is. And um, it really it's like. Of course, you wish it had never happened, but it's like a a really beautiful mirror to like look into and see the stuff you want reflected back at you. The stuff that's real, that's true. Also, like so many relationships either fell apart or got stronger. (laughs) Yes. It was a big testing ground for like friendships and relationships. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, no. So I, it's like, so it, if your relationship yeah. survived the pandemic, you're probably going to just marry that person if you're not already married to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you, you managed. Damn. I, uh, I hope my sort of, uh, didn't, didn't come across as, oh yeah, like everything's fine. Like, and everyone oh, should no, be not at all. super active. I think that was just more my just, uh, I'm, I'm just riding this sort of wave. No, of like, and I genuinely... And I'm genuinely inspired by that attitude because you're so right. Because, like, it, there is – it's that whole, like, oh, just can't take anything for granted. Like, yeah. the wonder of being able to do the smallest of things that you wouldn't have thought twice about. Or the 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 ease it is to – you know, plans don't have to be complicated. Relationships don't have to be complicated. You can just make yeah. them happen. Um, no, I like that a lot. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, bottom line is we just don't take things for granted. I think that's a good thing to live by anyway. Um, And especially, uh, like, I feel feel very privileged to be working in the lane I'm working in because mm -hmm. I was going to ask you, did you have any difficulty or was it relatively a process of ease to kind of convert your work 
alter at home like how was that mm. aspect of the pandemic for you uh for me it was pretty smooth actually that's just great I, th- I think um with uh uh i don't i don't know like how well you how much work from home you were doing prior but like uh for a lot of people including myself like before we got like you know um into the you know into the industry a lot of our voiceover was from home right it was like indie games like right, indie games right. and and it was just sort of like oh i mean yeah i I've doing done stuff this. from your home setup yeah doing stuff from your home setup yeah no I, this is how i got started i i i i, I this is not new to me so it was i think it was just more me it's like i think once the industry adjusted to it because there was definitely yes. this period of like what whoa what do we do you know these all these companies are like totally what? Uh, but once people started to get, you know, get things rolling again, yeah, no, I think I and a lot of people uh, were very lucky and we were like, no, yeah, we can do this from home. Yeah, I mean, that's so it's not, great. It's not too, it's not too crazy of a. How about how about you? Yeah, you know, similarly in that, it took me a minute to. Uh, I had a home setup, but it wasn't great. It was kind of like sure. my rudimentary audition setup. Yeah. But and I and I love going out into studios and being with Me people. Too. Yeah. And like that's ugh, it's my favorite thing. And so to kind of mentally get into the headset headspace of you're going to have to do this all from home. You're going to have to make this all work, and you're not necessarily going to get paid an additional fee to get this all set up or mm-hmm. to you know pay for engineering or editing time like yeah. this. It, it, that was a bit of a mental adjustment for me to make. But once, and I think collectively, the industry too, to make. Mm-hmm. But at our agents, you know, everybody kind of figuring out what the deal was. Right. But um, I'm very grateful and happy that I was able to kind of pivot and get everything set up properly to convert everything to home records. Like within. Within three weeks of the lockdown, I kind of had it figured out um, mm. and then kept improving from there. And now I kind of have a system where it's very easy. I Everything is idiot proof, Zara proof. I go in my booth, I turn on my computer, I hit record. I know exactly where everything is. I don't have to worry about it. Um, but it was a bit, even now, you know, now... If I have a job where I know I really need to focus on the acting, whether it's a project that has like a lot of efforts or emotional Mm. kind of heavy lifting, I will prefer to go into a studio so I just don't have to even think about the tech. But now the tech is pretty second nature to me. Um, mm. to the point where I'm not even worried about it necessarily. The only thing I worry about is if my like downstairs neighbors decide to have a dance party at two in the afternoon, <laughs> which they sometimes yeah. do. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, I I always uh, prefer to work in the studio if possible, just because you know engineers are incredible. Oh my god, God if, bless. If people you all should get paid it, more. Exactly. If people didn't realize it pre-pandemic, they definitely realized it now. Like, but you know, I've always, you know, been yeah. very thankful yes. to engineers for what they do. And so it's like, yeah, uh, I get that. But I also am glad to hear that it was also a relatively smooth yes transition for you and i'm so well. grateful because so many of my colleagues who only do on camera or theater Ooh, like yeah. it was mm-hmm. a rough time 
for many, yeah. many actors. Um, so I feel very fortunate to be working in this lane of, yeah. of it of all. What we do, yeah. Um, well, this has been great. I, I, uh, I, I appreciate you sitting down to talk and, Oh, my pleasure. Um, yeah. Like, uh, I also, you know, whenever I sense that sort of like, mm, this person's a nerd, like, <laughs> uh, I'm like, okay, yes. that, that, uh, that honestly is what interests me. I'm like, what do you, what are you, you know, what are you passionate about? What, what are you nerdy about? That's, yeah. that's what I like hearing about. Uh, not necessarily. I mean, I mean, career is great, and you know, I, I, you know, I, you have, you have, of course, you've had a fantastic career. But for me, what was honestly, I was like, but you like Udina, huh? Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, want, I want to get her on, but no. And you, you did not disappoint. This was, I, I, this was great. Oh, I was so glad. And you're so right. Like people, when people talk about what they're most interested in, they really come alive. So that's yes. so cool that that's what you zero in on is like, yeah, yeah, what what people are fascinated by. Yeah. Where can people uh, find you? Uh, people can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Zara Fuzzle. That's primarily where I hang out. So you can come say hi there. All right. Well, again, thank you so much. This has been great. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. What a, what a, what a pleasure. <laughs>